there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon! Um, God, just thank you that we're able to come here today. Um, I just pray that um, we're all able to find um, some grace and peace this morning and carry it with us into the week. Uh, as we move forward, uh, just be with us kind of as we dig into this Jesus and nonviolence a little more. Um, in your name, amen. So this week is going to be kind of short and sweet. So we're going to do the discussion before communion because I'm interested to hear your thoughts kind of as we've gone through the last several weeks. Um, and the first week we had a lot of discussion um, just kind of about everything. Uh, today I just want to hear your thoughts specifically on this idea of nonviolence and kind of what that could look like for you, um, and things like that. So we're on part four of Jesus and nonviolence. Next week we'll talk about parables and Jesus and nonviolence and kind of combine the two um, and go back to what was originally planned. Um, But so far we've talked pretty extensively about this way of life that Jesus modeled for us. Um, And he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and then he lived up through his crucifixion as just a creative way of living um, in an oppressive system of power imbalance. He lived what has been titled The Third Way by theologian Walter Wink. And we've been calling it that way, um, The Third Way, uh, kind of as we've gone through this as well. And we've discussed the ideas of loving your enemy even when they're hateful and all they have to give you is animosity in return. And we've talked about what it looks like to recognize the potential for good and for evil in all of us, even in ourselves, and especially in the people that we disagree with, and recognize their potential for change, their potential for goodness, but also be aware of our own tendencies to make poor choices, to be hateful, um, to become the very thing that we say that we won't, to become the very thing that we are fighting against, the very thing that Jesus has fought against. And then last week, we talked about the cross and how it was a perfect picture of a nonviolent response to um, a system full of violence and how Jesus sacrificed not necessarily for individual atonement of our sins, but it was a collective decision. It was to kind of shake up the whole system and start over. He was absorbing the violence, absorbing the hatred to change it into something new to change it into grace and peace and provide a a new way, a third way of living that no one had ever seen before. And Jesus didn't fail when he died on the cross, like probably some of his followers might have thought initially, or maybe thought for a long time um, after he didn't come back and rule the world, right? Um, But it's just the very fact that we're talking about him today, he didn't fail. I think his ideas lived on for generations and people like Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr. lived those ideas. And so many people, like we talked about last week, that we don't know their names, that lived these ideas, that lived in this third way, and brought about change in our world. And while it feels like we still have a long way to go, we've made so much progress when it comes to a new way of living, a way of experiencing grace and peace in our everyday lives, of bringing heaven to earth in the here and now, and living that in our every choice, in our every way of life. And now, because of Jesus, we're welcome to participate in doing the exact same thing that he did, bringing heaven to the here and now 
and we do so by continuing to live in the third way, by making the choice to be creative and to face oppression and hate and violence with nonviolence. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything but your face. Um, <laughs> there's a train. Um, <laughs> it, it did catch me off guard. <laughs> Um, so, I'm, I need a minute. <laughs> Hold on. And Jesus' way of nonviolence, um, living in this way, was really a test to um, resist oppressive laws in a system that was something Jesus and his followers would have been really familiar with. They were living as citizens in a Roman-occupied territory, and they were faced with violence and hatred every single day just because they could. And so this is something that Jesus was very familiar with. And um, as we know, violent revolutions only incite more violence. And I'm sure that there are probably stories that we don't know of people in Roman occupied territories that tried to fight back with violence. And it, we don't know them because it didn't end well. Um, and we know the stories of Jesus because he made a ripple in the system. Um, and he made people question and he brought about change. When overthrowing systems of power with violence, you're kind of setting this precedent that anyone who disagrees with you, once you have overtaken power and you're the one now the system of authority, anyone that disagrees with you can do the same thing that you did and overthrow your system with violence. Even if you're overthrowing the system with violence to establish a way of peace, you're always going to live in fear of someone doing the same thing that you did. That's violence incites more violence. It can't be the answer. It can't be the only way. Because there's always gonna be someone who disagrees. There's always gonna be someone who thinks that your way of peace, your way of grace, is not their way of peace, is not their way of grace. That's why we have to, it's so important for us to recognize the humanity of one another, to recognize the goodness in everyone and the choices of everyone. The whole point of the third way is to do no harm, even when we disagree, and to find a way to live in community together with people we disagree with, people who look different from us, people who live different from us, people who make choices that we wouldn't make. The third way invites us to usher in this new way of living by bringing into reality one piece at a time. By living it now, when it's hard, when you don't want to, when you're faced with hatred and oppression, sometimes from every direction, at home, at school, at work, church. It's really hard to make the choice to offer and extend grace and peace, especially to the people who are so hateful. But living it now when it's hard is how we're going to bring about change. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this um, idea of living in a respect for law. And even though we're going to live in a way where we're trying to overthrow unjust laws and unjust systems, there has to still maintain a respect for law. Um, and he talks about this as saying that blacks couldn't participate in the American dream if they destroyed the whole thing that they were aching to be a part of in the first place. Claiming that the desire here is absolutely yes for a world free of injustice, but also a world where people have a general respect for law and they do things like stop at red lights and they, robbers are apprehended um, when they cause harm 
lawlessness isn't something that's just like running rampant, right? We don't want a society of chaos. We want a society of grace and peace. Um, and with that, there still has to be some sort of system in place, right? We can't just like free for all, you do your way, I'll do mine. Martin Luther King and Gandhi willingly paid the price for the laws that they broke. They were arrested each several times. I mean, Martin Luther King was assassinated, right? Even when those laws were unjust, the laws that they were fighting. No proponent of Jesus' third way would seek to just get off scot-free for breaking a law, even an unjust one. That would encourage the masses toward more lawlessness, right? Because if one can decide that a law is unjust and therefore not worth being followed, others can make that same decision. And where do we draw the line? This is unjust, so I'm not going to do this. It's unjust that you're telling me I can't kill people, so I'm just going to kill them and suffer no consequences because I made the choice that it was unjust. I don't think that's a society that any of us want to live in. Um, but civil disobedience has to be engaged with a deep respect for the idea of law. The idea of law as I think that it was intended to be, not necessarily the way that it is right now. And growing up I was taught that laws are kind of in a way sacred and it was this kind of instilled nationalism that we didn't call it that way of like if you're following the laws you're not sinning and it doesn't matter like if the laws go against God you have to follow the law at all costs no matter what and they used Paul's words in Romans 13 to insist this kind of a blind obedience and nationalism that never really seemed to quite make a whole lot of sense to me and I'm not really entirely sure that that's exactly what's going on in this passage. So let's take a look. Um, you can find Romans 13, 1 through 7 in your bulletin. We're going to read it and then kind of talk about it a little bit. So it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority as rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do no wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason or if you do wrong, sorry. There are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, than honor. So this is kind of talking about um, submitting to the law because the law is the rule of the land um, and you have to, at face value this is saying you have to like maintain this like abundant respect for the rule of the land because it was established by God. But what do we do when the rule of the land is unjust and hateful and only really works for a select few? And I think Submission may lead to obedience, but it doesn't have to lead to obedience. We see in Luke 2:51 that Jesus was subject to his parents. He submitted to them. And it, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. But yet even he refused to obey his mother's commands sometimes. 
we see in Mark 3 that um, Jesus is meeting with a group of people and his mother and his brothers come from outside and they're calling to him and they're asking him to come out and he doesn't even acknowledge who they are. I think his exact words are, who are they? <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's busy. He's not going to obey the command to come out to her in that moment. And also as a Jewish citizen, he was subject to Jewish law. But we see time and again, Jesus breaking Jewish law when it goes against God's will for his life. He heals on the Sabbath when that was not allowed. He allows the woman who's, bleeding, who's been bleeding for years to touch him and he calls attention to it when that was something that wouldn't have been allowed. He would have had to follow cleansing rituals after, after the fact to be within the law. But he chose to acknowledge her instead. He hangs out with lepers when they've been cast out of the city and no one is allowed to go in that commune, I guess, where they live. Yet Jesus goes and he dines with them. He entertains them. He touches them. He heals them. We see Jesus is following laws, but not all of them. So what does this passage mean? Breaking laws and social norms for the sake of a better world in light of Romans 13. Jesus is often called uh, one that is greater than the law, yet he was crucified for his very disobedience. His followers, Peter and John, even go on later to say in Acts 4, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you and your laws, rather than to God, only you must judge, for we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. This verse in Romans 13, um, verse 2 specifically, has been translated in a way that kind of leaves no room for question and um, really just kind of equates all resistance to pure evil, whether you're resisting just or unjust laws. Yet the life of Jesus and his followers does not support this interpretation of Paul's words. So it says, let's look at it again. Verse 2. Therefore, he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So the first term here for resist in the original Greek, and I don't speak Greek, so I'm probably going to butcher this, is antitasso, which is a military term that means to rage in battle against, or in other words, to set oneself up in armed opposition. The second and third use of the word as resist in the original Greek are translated from the word anti, it looks like anahistamine, anahistamine. I don't speak Greek, so anybody that speaks Greek, feel free to say that correctly, um, which is often used when we're, uh, in other passages when they're talking about violent resistance or armed insurrection specifically. So yes, these words can be translated to resist, but it's more like a violent resistance. It's not just a blanket resist. So with this context, this passage isn't against all resistance. Theologian Walter Wink, who has coined this term the third way, translated this verse in Romans 13:2 to say, therefore the person who engages in armed revolt against the political system commits insurrection against what God has ordained. In other words, he's saying here that Jesus urges his followers, Paul, in his, Paul's words, urges his followers to push back against oppression and systems of power, but to do so with grace and peace and nonviolence specifically. It has to be the third way. It has to be creativity. It has to be nonviolence. We have to recognize the humanity even in the worst of us. God's will isn't that there be freedom for all, and also be utter chaos. We have to maintain a basic respect. 
for the law. I think we could all agree that God wants political order where people follow basic laws and stop at traffic lights and where people are held accountable. But he doesn't want unwielding power to be held over a few or held over the masses by a select few where only the rich and wealthy benefit from the system while everyone else just suffers more and more as time has gone on. Um, verse 4 in Romans 13 says, God's servant is for your good. The system, the laws, all of it is supposed to be for our good. Romans 13 isn't talking about the system that was in place. It's talking about the ideal system, the way that it's supposed to work. Paul's reality wasn't this like beautiful, wonderful system that he's talking about. He's describing the way that law was intended, the way that God intended it, the way that I think Jesus intended it, the way that Paul obviously intended it because he wrote this down, right? Servant being the rule of law. This passage is describing how it should work. Laws should be for the good of everyone and do no harm. Yet that wasn't Jesus' reality or Paul's reality, and it's certainly not ours. I think we have a lot of laws that we can agree do significant harm. The government and the law it puts in place do immense harm and are only good for the select few. And just as Jesus refused to obey unjust laws, he is calling us and urging us to do the same. But in doing so, we have to acknowledge and affirm a willingness to suffer on behalf of a higher law, this idea of the rule of law as it should be. The idea of bringing, hope, hoping to bring grace and peace into the here and now, heaven to earth now. Just like Jesus saw a better way and fought for it, even in the midst of dire consequence when he was crucified on the cross, we're called to, to demand unjust laws be made just. And what better way to show the evil and the unjust laws than by malicious compliance and mirroring humanity back at your oppressor, like we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Even when the powers in control are oppressive in extreme ways, they still embody something that has to be honored, the principle of, of law that we talked about in Romans 13. We have to begin from a basis of legality in order to foster a society in which citizens abide by the spirit of law. If you create a new society through violence and lawlessness, you can't move toward peace. You can only to continue to live in the threat of violence. And the goal here, ultimately, is grace and peace for everyone. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.